As supporters of Palestine, we're routinely accused of anti-Semitism by Israel and its supporters. It's a smear. But nonetheless, it's all the more important to be clear on what we are opposing. It's not Judaism or Jews in terms of the current genocide which is taking place in Gaza, but the political program of Zionism. And this episode of The Sound of Solidarity will look at the roots of Zionism and why it is intrinsically a reactionary idea. You're listening to The Sound of Solidarity, brought to you by Solidarity. We're a revolutionary socialist group in Australia, and if you'd like to find out more about us, our website is solidarity.net.au. I'm David Glanz, and I'm recording this episode on unceded Wurundjeri land in Narm or Melbourne. Now, Zionism is the political program that argues for a Jewish state in Palestine, in other words, for Israel. And it emerged as an ideology in Central and Eastern Europe in the latter half of the 19th century in response to anti-Semitism. Now, capitalism developed much later in Eastern Europe than Western Europe, and the ideas of nationalism only began to get traction amongst large numbers of people in the latter part of the 19th century. So the development of Zionism was part and parcel of that development of nationalism amongst the oppressed nationalities of the Russian and Austrian empires in particular. Now, the anti-Semitism of the Russian Empire, where the majority of Jews lived, was very real and very vicious. Jews were by and large excluded from Russian life and forced to live in what is known as the Pale of Settlement, essentially the western edge of the Russian Empire. There were quotas on how many Jews could live in the major cities and how many Jews could study at university, and they were very small quotas indeed. The Tsarist regime produced an infamous document called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which was fundamentally an anti-Semitic fake document, which is still used today by Nazis around the world as evidence, so-called evidence, of a Jewish conspiracy to run the world. And along with the smears and the attacks went violence. The violence of pogroms, the Russian word for race riots, and the attacks by groups called the Black Hundreds, essentially proto-fascist gangs who were supported by the Tsarist regime. And there were waves of pogroms, starting from 1881, again in 1903 to 1905, and so on. And so quite logically, Jews in the Russian Empire had to respond to this anti-Semitism. But Zionism was far from being the only response. In many ways, the biggest was emigration. Between 1881 and 1914, 2.6 million Jews left the Russian Empire, heading west, primarily to the United States, but to Britain and to France, and handfuls to Palestine. And my great-grandparents were amongst those people who upped and left in order to try and ensure that they could actually have a decent life without fear of pogroms and anti-Semitism. Many, many Jews, 
particularly in the working class, responded by supporting the ideas of what was known as the Bund, which was a Jewish socialist organisation that argued that socialism was the answer and that Jews had to organise as workers in unions and in their parties in order to, to fight back. But it, was, it had the limitation that it saw Jews still having to organise in as a, a distinct group as other ethnic groups would also need to organise. And then there was the response of revolutionary socialism, above all the Bolshevik party, which led the October Revolution of 1917. And the Bolsheviks argued that anti-Semitism was a form of racism, it was grounded in capitalism, in the need of the ruling class to foment oppression and hatred in order to divide and therefore to rule. And therefore, fighting anti-Semitism was not something separate. It was part and parcel of fighting against capitalism, nationalism and, and the empire that was overseen by the Tsar. And there was, after the October Revolution, despite very great difficulties, real steps forward for Jewish people in Russia. But I don't have time to go into that. And while the socialists wanted to fight anti-Semitism, the Zionists fundamentally accepted it. So one of the early writings was by a man called Moses Hess, who published a book in 1862, who argued that Jews were a race. And this is a very novel idea, because for thousands of years, Jews have been defined by their religion and not by ethnic or racial characteristics. And that argument by Moses Hess was part and parcel of the development of nationalism in Eastern Europe and the development right across Europe and other parts of the so-called advanced world of racial ideas in which people were to be defined as belonging to particular categories. And far from rejecting that for the racist nonsense it was, Moses Hess actually laid the basis for accepting the idea that Jews were a race. Later on in the context of the pogroms, Leon Pinsker, who was a founder of an early Zionist movement in Palestine, wrote in the 1880s, and this, this sums up how the Zionists accepted anti-Semitism. He said, For the living the Jew is a dead man, for the natives an alien and a vagrant, for property holders a beggar, for the poor an exploiter and a millionaire, for patriots a man without country, for all classes a hated rival. In other words, Zionism began to take on the understanding, in their terms, that anti-Semitism was inherent, it was built into certainly Western society, it could not be defeated, and therefore Jews had to separate themselves. And against the backdrop of mass emigration, Theodor Herzl, who was in many ways seen as the father of Zionism, began to look at anti-Semitism and, in his terms, began to understand it. And in relation in Paris to the Dreyfus affair in the 1890s, and the Dreyfus affair concerned the stitch-up of a Jewish officer called Dreyfus in the French army, clearly on trumped-up grounds, and he was found guilty, he was jailed. It was a, an enormous scandal in which decent people on the left stood up against what was clearly a racist attack, Theodore Herzl understood it quite differently. 
He wrote, In Paris, I achieved a freer attitude towards anti-Semitism, which I now began to understand historically and to pardon. Above all, I recognised the emptiness and futility of trying to combat anti-Semitism. So for Zionists, their position was that Jews needed a state, a national state for a nationality, if not a race, but that state had to be of their own and it had to be away from the anti-Semites in Europe. Now, to be clear, most Jews in this period rejected or even ridiculed the Zionists. They didn't accept the logic of the Zionist position. The Trotskyist Isaac Deutscher, who came from a Polish-Jewish family, wrote that the most fanatical enemies of Zionism were precisely the workers, he meant the Jewish workers, those who spoke Yiddish, those who considered themselves Jews. They were the most determined opponents of the idea of an emigration from Eastern Europe to Palestine. They wanted to stand and fight. And in 1939, the last free elections were held in Poland before the Nazi invasion. And in the elections for the Jewish community councils, the Bundists, the Jewish socialists, won an overwhelming majority. The same sort of picture was true in Germany, where the, the Jewish population was actually extremely small. It was quite illogical, in a formal sense, Hitler's fixation with Jews, because there really weren't that many Jews in Germany. But in July 1932, which is six months before Hitler came to power and the beginning of disaster, the German Zionist organisation was told, it should never be forgotten that we in Germany have to reckon not only with the indifference of extensive Jewish circles, but also with their hostility. In the US in 1933, there were 4 million Jews, only 88,000 were registered as Zionists. What changed? The Holocaust changed everything. The murder of 6 million Jews in the Nazi death camps physically eradicated many of the alternatives that Jews looked to. The gates of the Western countries slammed shut to migration. The Bundist movement was largely eradicated, physically eradicated, as part and parcel of the genocide against the Jews carried out by the Nazis. And under Stalin, the Soviet Union ceased to be a place of safety for Jews, either Russian Jews or Jews who tried to flee there uh, in order to be safe from Hitler. And David Ben-Gurion, who was the first Prime Minister of Israel, wrote what Zionist propaganda for years and years could not do, disaster has done overnight. But let's take a step back. The Zionist movement was trying to organise for many, many years before the Nazi Holocaust. But because of their weakness, even their lack of support amongst the Jewish population, they needed a sponsor, an imperialist sponsor. They needed to find a powerful country which would benefit from a Jewish settlement and a Jewish state in Palestine, where the interests of Zionism, of imperialism, and indeed of racism would come together. And the Zionists went to the Russian government under the Tsar. They went to the German government. They went to the Turkish, or strictly speaking, the Ottoman government. And on each occasion, they offered effectively an alliance, and they were turned away. And the breakthrough came 
when Britain in 1917, in the middle of the First World War, issued the Balfour Declaration, which said that Britain was committed to a Jewish homeland in Palestine. Interestingly, there was one Jewish member of the British cabinet at that point, a man called Montefiore. He voted against the Balfour Declaration because he could see that it was creating a weapon which would be used against the Jews in the future. This is what Herzl, Theodore Herzl, said to the Ottoman Empire. It sums up their attitude towards all the imperialist powers. If His Majesty the Sultan were to give us Palestine, we would form there a part of the wall of defence of Europe in Asia, an outpost of civilization against barbarism. We would, as a neutral state, remain in contact with all Europe, which would have to guarantee our existence. Now, I think we also have to deal with a paradox, and that is many of the people who led the charge for Zionism and who helped establish Israel with the Nakba in 1948, regarded themselves as socialists. They felt that taking land, working that land, getting muscles from working that land would redeem Jews. They saw too many Jews in Eastern Europe as weak and pathetic, and they saw uh, Zionism as about re-establishing or establishing a Jewish working class that could conduct a struggle, a class struggle for socialism and the establishment of the kibbutzim, the kibbutz meaning uh, like a, a collective, was seen very much as part of that socialist project. There would be new ways of living, new ways of raising children, collectivity, ways in which Jews could live a collective and equal and effectively socialist life. And it's because of things like the kibbutzim that well into the 1970s, the majority of the Western left saw Israel as a, a progressive state. A comrade of ours, unfortunately now dead, in Britain called Hani Rosenberg, came from a South African Jewish family, came to Palestine full of young idealism that she was going to help build a new society. And she moved on to a kibbutz, and then she realized that the kibbutz had a locked room that was full of guns. And the guns weren't there to fight imperialism, they were to, there to fight Palestinians. And for her, that was a break with Zionism that led her to become a revolutionary socialist and a founder of our tradition in Britain. In Israel, the Labour Party was in office from 1948 to 1977. It formed its last real government in 1996. So the founding politicians of Israel saw themselves as left-wing. They saw themselves as part and parcel of a socialist tradition. But the logic of Zionism, the collaboration with imperialism, the need to drive Palestinians off their land, which started long before the Nakba, started in the 1920s and 1930s, accelerated with the Nakba in 1948, continues to this day regardless, leaving aside the horrors in Gaza, continues to this day in the West Bank where there are well over 700,000 settlers living on, on Palestinian land. The logic of Zionism is to drive Palestinians out because you cannot have a democratic Jewish state unless Jews are in the majority. And that logic 
actually has led Zionism to move further and further to the right. There were always very right-wing Zionists. Back in the 1920s, the 1930s, there was a wing of the Zionist movement that was effectively fascist. There were sections of the Zionist movement. They were a minority at that point who actually trained militarily under Mussolini's fascist regime. Those people now, or the ideas of those people now, have moved into the mainstream, to what is now the most right-wing Israeli government ever. And it's not an accident. It's not bad politics by the Labour Party that lost them elections. It is, if you are going to deal with the Palestinians to create a Zionist state, then the people who do it in the bloodiest way are also the most effective and ultimately will gain the support of the mass of the population. It is a horrible logic. It is a racist logic. And it is a logic that has taken Zionism as far to the right as it probably ever has been. It means that Israel is so hostile to genuine fighters against anti-Semitism because that challenges the Zionist logic that they would prefer to do business with out-and-out anti-Semites if that's what it takes to protect Israel. A couple of examples. In 2018, an Israeli weapons manufacturer sold hundreds of assault rifles to anti-drug police in the Philippines just months after then-President Rodrigo Duterte compared himself to Hitler and said he would be happy to slaughter three million drug addicts. You think about the smallest statement by anybody standing for Palestine today, which the Zionists can attack as being anti-Semitic, but they are prepared to do business with a politician, a national leader who compares himself to Hitler, providing that national leader supports Israeli interests. Just last year, the Israeli ambassador to Romania, Reuven Ezar, and settler leader Yossi Dagan met with George Simeon, who is the leader of a far-right party, the AUP, in order to secure his support for West Bank settlements. This was not an outlier. That meeting took place with the backing of Israel's foreign minister. Israel had previously boycotted Simeon's AUR party due to their constant anti-Semitic and Holocaust-denying statements and their glorification of Romania's World War II fascist leaders. But when they are looking for allies for their settler project on the West Bank, they will hold their nose and they will go with people who basically hate Jews, provided they get the political support they need for the Zionist project. I haven't talked in this podcast about the horrors in Gaza. We're all aware of those. We are all out on the streets week after week. We are organising in our unions, organising on our campuses and organising in our communities. But it's not just the attack on Gaza and the slaughter that is taking place at the moment that is creating a crisis for Zionism. In 2021, 25% of American Jews agreed that Israel is an apartheid state. There is a generational crisis for Zionism, particularly in the United States, where we have seen continuous big protests against the horrors in Gaza by young Jews and older Jews alike, religious Jews and secular Jews. Zionism has been exposed 
over the years and now over the last four months as a brutal and vicious ideology. An ideology that more than a hundred years ago said to Jews, run away, don't fight racism. And an ideology today that justifies slaughter and genocide in Gaza and political collaboration with anti-Semites who are prepared to support the Israeli project. Our task is to understand why Zionism is fundamentally reactionary. It is to support Palestine, but it is also to reclaim the tradition of fighting all racism, including anti-Semitism, a tradition which millions of Jews adopted in the latter part of the 19th century, the first part of the 20th century, a tradition that fought and fought and only came to a temporary end with the Holocaust. That tradition can be reborn today and we all need to be part of it. Mm -hmm.